You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the game of chess. So, the imitation of life as the game of chess. So, as we always do, we like to give a definition of what we are speaking on. So, we will do that. Let's go to the definition or the breakdown or the history of chess. So, this may be a little boring for those of you that literally play the game of chess and you know these details. So, just bear with us. So, the history of chess can be traced back 1,500 years, although the earliest origins are uncertain. The earliest predecessor of the game probably originated in India, by the 7th century AD. From India, the game spread to Persia. When the Arabs conquered Persia, chess was taken up by the Muslim world and subsequently spread to Southern Europe. In Europe, chess evolved into into roughly its current form in the 15th century. Romantic chess was the predominant chess playing style style from the late 15th century to the 1880s. Chess games of this period emphasize more on a quick tactical maneuvers rather than long strategic planning. The Romanic era of play was followed by scientific hypermode and new dynamism era. In the second half of the 19th century, modern chess tournaments play began and the first official world chess championship was held in 1886. The 20th century saw great leaps forward in chess theory and the establishment of World Chess Federation. In 1997, a computer first beat a chess world champion in the famous Deep Blue versus Gary Kasparov match, ushering in an era of computer domination. Hmm, that's interesting. So in other words, man versus machine or uh, ushering in the beginning of the AI. Hmm, all right. So since then, computer analysts, which originated in the 1970s with the first program chess game on the market, has contributed to much of the development in chess theory and has become an important part of preparation in professional human chess. Later developments in the 21st century made the use of computer analysis far surpassing the ability of any human player accessible to the public. Online gaming, which first appeared in the mid-1990s, also became popular in the 21st century. All right, so um, there is a book by H.J.R. Murray uh, called A History of Chess, but the snippet I'm reading from is um, Wikipedia, which gives the history of chess, and it gets into the origins, so it gets into specifically into uh, India 
And uh, just a real quick thing that I want to point out so you can kind of, it'll kind of tie into how we're going to dive into each particular piece, chess piece, and show how this equates to life, all right? So um, chess was introduced to Persia from India and became part of the princely courtly education of Persian nobility. In uh, Sassanid Persia, around 600, the name became Chatran, which subsequently evolved into Chatran. I know I'm probably butchering all of that, so forgive me. Due to Arab Muslims, lack of chi and nuk, native sounds, and the rules were developed further. Playing started, players started calling Shah Persian for king. When attacking the opponent's king, and Shah Mat Persian for the king is helpless. See checkmate. So that's interesting. So they're saying Shah Mat. Back up in the day, in the Persian days, eventually became checkmate. So it's really interesting how when you dig into the etymology of these words, you see how they evolve over time and the enunciation changes. And in some cases, as we have um, discussed several times on this podcast, how even the meaning, the original origin meaning of that word changes and more than likely it has been flipped to the opposite. All right. Okay. So checkmate when the king was attacked and could not escape from attack. These explanations persist in chess as it traveled to other lands. The game was taken up by the Muslim world after the Islamic conquest of Persia with the pieces largely keeping their Persian names. The Moors of North Africa rendered Persia Shatrent as Shatresh, which gave the rise to Spanish. In Portuguese, it became Extra or Extras and Greek Zatrakion. But in the rest of Europe, it was replaced by versions of Persia Shah. Shah or king, thus the game came to be called Ludus in Latin, Shashki in Italian, Escas. Um, all right, so and then in French, Etches. I know I'm butchering all of this. Um, Dutch had it spread to Dutch with a different name, German in a different name, Polish, Danish, Norwegian, etc., etc. Okay, Um, so the Mongols called the game Shastar, and in Ethiopia it is called Sintergy, both evidentially derived from Shatrans. Chess spread directly from the Middle East to Russia, where chess became known as, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that, All right, so it goes on to say how the game reached Western Europe and Russia by at least three routes, the earliest being in the 9th century by the year 
1000, it has spread throughout Europe, introduced into the Iberian Peninsula. See, all the other words then tongue-tied me on a simple one. Okay, so it was introduced um, through the Iberian Peninsula by the Moors in the 10th century. It was described in a famous 13th century manuscript covering Shotstrange. Um, backgammon and dice was also named the Libro, whatever that is. I, I don't speak Latin. All right. So then it's just going on to say that chess spread throughout the world and many variants of the game soon became taken sh shape. Buddhist pilgrims, Silk Road traders and others carried it to the Far East where it transformed and assimilated into a game often played on the intersection of the lines of the board rather than within the squares. All right. Um, so then it said, we talked about that, that it reached Europe through Persia, the Byzantine Empire, and expanding the Arabian Empire. Muslims carried chess to North Africa, Sicily, and Iberia by the 10th century. The game was developed extensively in Europe. By the 15th century, it has survived a series of prohibition of Christian churches, a sanction to almost take the shape of the modern game. Modern history saw reliable references work, reference works, competitive chess tournaments, and exciting new variants. These factors added to the game's popularity, further bolstering by reliable timing mechanisms first introduced in 1861, effective rules, and um, charismatic um, players, all right? So you can uh, definitely check out the history of chess on Wikipedia. It goes into more details. Um, it goes into India, and um, it gives you the pieces, the chessboard pieces, how they are depicted in India. Um, it goes into Iran, East Asia, meaning China and Japan, uh, Thailand, uh, Mongolia, East Siberia, etc. All right, so they did a very good job on Wikipedia with this, uh, running down the history of chess. Now, here's what this particular episode is about. I went through the history to give a depiction of how the game how far back the game goes, and how the game spread through these multiple uh, places around the planet via these different empires. Okay, so in earlier, it discussed how the game was passed from, um, it was passed based on the conquering of a nation. So now we're going to get into the actual specific pieces on the game of chess. But let's take a step back and really think about what this game really is and how it is just an imitation of life itself or how souls navigate souls and entities navigate 
in this realm. So you can look at the actual board itself as the realm. Okay. All right. So let's start with, we know that there are various pieces. So you have the pawn, the bishop, the knight, the queen, the king. I know I'm missing the rook. Yep, the rook. So the pawn, which if anybody's a chess player, and by the way, I am not a chess player. <laughs> I just know how the game works. All right. I attempted to play. Uh, my patience ran short. And so I just never got into it. But I do enter and understand how the pieces work. Because as someone was trying to teach me, patiently trying to teach me, my mind started thinking from a spiritual perspective what this game really meant. All right? So the pawn is the least powerful, one of the least, I'll put it that way, one of the least powerful pieces on the board. All right? And it is the most disposable piece. So from a tactical perspective, it can only move uh, forward one or two squares. And the pawn is worth one point. So meaning, if you put that into a life perspective, that means that the pawn is the most sacrificial piece on the board. It's the front line piece. It's only worth one point to the game. So meaning the pawn piece is equated to a one-dimensional piece or one-dimensional from a consciousness perspective. And so from the populace in the realm, the pawn piece represents 90% of the population on the game called life. That's what the pawn piece represents. Always going to be on the front line taking the hits. Always only utilizing a 1% or the lower fracture of the consciousness. It is viewed as one-dimensional. All right. So let's move on to the bishop. Now, the bishop is considered a minor piece. It's worth three points. And it can move diagonal, diagonally as many squares as it likes, as long as it does not have a blockage in its place. And additionally, how the bishop can move across the board 
is in an X pattern. All right. So the bishop piece in the game called life represents the 4% of the populace. So that 4% has a little bit of slight power, has a little bit of slight power, and it can be viewed as serving the roles of the politicians. All right? So those are the politicians that you see before you that the pawns go out and cast their vote for because they feel that the bishops or the politicians are running things, that they have the power, when in reality, they only have minor power. They can only move, although they can move in the entirety of the board, they are still limited on how they can move. And if they run into a block, they do not have the authorization to take away that block, All right? So the three points that the bishop is worth is also representing a three-dimensional character in life and three-dimensional consciousness. All right, so now we get to the knight. And the knight is also, like the bishop, considered a minor piece, and it's worth three points. And the knight has the power that it can jump over another piece. And the knight has the ability to navigate one square left or right. And then two squares up and down vertically. So in other words, the knight moves in an L shape. And the knight can capture what it lands on, not what it jumps over. So the knight essentially has the same power as the bishop and it also represents the 4% in the game called life. And just as the bishop, it has only been given slight power. And the bishop, the knight, you can... Equate the knight as the top military brass in the game called life. All right? Yes, it can attack, but it still is limited in the way it can move, what direction it can move. Yes, it can capture. but it can't jump over. So in other words, it cannot jump over authority. So it is represented in the game called life, the night piece, 
as the military brass. So we're talking the generals and all of that jazz. And even the ones behind the scenes that tell the generals what to do. Same difference. You can even put the presidents of the corporations into this category as well. They are still a part of the 4%. They are still taking orders. All right. So let's talk about the Rook. Now the Rook is considered a major piece on the board. It's worth five points. It can move as many squares as it likes, left or right horizontally, or as many squares as it likes, up or down vertically, as long as it isn't blocked by other pieces. So, the way that the rook moves, it moves in the symbol or, or the direction of a plus sign or a cross. So now let's talk about what that means from the rook piece, what that means on this game called life. So the rook is that 1%. The rook is a part of that 1%. Because the rook is considered a major piece like the queen. So think of that plus sign, the movement of that rook as the rook being ushered into an higher order on behalf of the empires for its power. So in other words, the rook in the game called life you're talking about the 1% players in the game called life that truly, truly execute the orders, make things happen. The 4% take their orders, the politicians take their orders from the rook. But the Rook was granted its power by being in the secret orders or secret society orders. It is a higher secret society order because they felt that this particular person in the game called life operates at a higher consciousness level. Right, they have gone beyond the three dimensional consciousness level, and the three dimensional consciousness level. Let's be clear that is that represents before you get to the higher realm. So, the rook power is granted to them because they have been ushered into a higher order getting past their abdubla obligaten and hitting the third eye. So therefore, since they can use the particular 
sciences, the esoteric sciences, to master or navigate the board, they have been granted the right on the board to move with that power, okay? All right, so anybody that knows anything about the secret societies, if you look up who wears the red cross, it should make sense to you, right? That's the movement of this rook piece. Now, come on, let's get on. The queen, baby, the queen, the queen, the queen. The queen is also a major piece, like the rook. Guess how many points she's worth? This should not be a surprise to those of you that are esoteric. The queen is worth nine points. And she can move as many squares as she like, left or right, or horizontally. Or as many uh, as she like up or down. Okay? So pretty much the, the queen's moves are a combination of the rook and the bishop. Okay? That's the easy way to remember how the queen moves. All right? So that... The, just the sheer fact that the queen is worth nine points and the queen represents feminine. Feminine is equal to nine. So meaning the beginning and the end. Okay. All right. And in the um, game of chess, that's why it's all about protect the queen. Okay, just like in uh, in the game of chess, it's about protect the queen. And also just like in the game of life, those particular monarchs that still have queens, it is about protect the queen. If you look at nature itself, with the ants and the bees, it is about protect the queen. And the pawns will sacrifice themselves to protect the queen because they enter and overstand the queen. Without the queen, there will be an extinction of their species. Okay? All righty. So now let's get to the king. The king, now this is what I found interesting. Now remember, we are talking about the game of chess and how the game of chess is the imitation of life. Now just remember what I told you, the role of the queen, how she moves on the board. And in life, why the queen is protected and in nature why the queen is protected because without the queen that is the extinction 
of a species. So the pawns, they enter, they overstand this. All of the pieces of the board enter and overstands this. And they will sacrifice for the sake of the queen. Okay? And on the game of chess, the reason why she is represented as a nine points is because nine represents in life and in nature and in esoteric or the spiritual realm, the feminine divine, the beginning and the end. All right? So I just had to repeat that and reiterate that because now we fenced in a get on the king piece. Now, this is in the game of chess. The king is not a very powerful piece. As it can only move or capture one square in any direction. Please note, the king cannot be captured. When a king is attacked, it's called check. So, on the game of chess, the king is not the most powerful piece. Hmm. It can only move one square in any direction. So the king can only move in a square, basically. All right? And can't be captured, but it can only be checked. So in life, that is not how the populist view, I'm talking about the 90%, and in some cases, 95%. That's not how they view kings. They don't view kings as not very powerful. They view kings as the most powerful and even more powerful than the queen. Okay? So right there, there is a discrepancy how folk are playing the game called life. Because even with the nature of the game chess, it entered and overstood that the queen has more power than the king. Okay? And this kind of goes back to what we've been talking about, how the issuing of the patriarch society was put upon the indigenous people across the planet and how things are out of balance and out of order. Okay. Now the most important thing out of all of this, notice that I said that the imitation of life as the game of chess. And as we've gone through each one of these pieces, You've seen how they are granted the movements 
and why they are granted the movements based on their level of consciousness or based on the levels that they have chosen to participate in this game called life. So now the other thing is, what about this concept? Why should you have to be any piece on their board? Why should you have to fit into any concept of being a pawn, a bishop, a knight, a rook, a queen, a king? Why can't you rise above all of those pieces from a consciousness perspective? So meaning you would have to rise above a nine. And once you rise above that nine, you are stepping outside of the time, the space, dimension, or the click out. And you can see the entire board. So meaning you can see the now, you can see the past, you can see the future. So when we speak about consciousness, when we speak about raising your vibration, when we speak about operating in a lower vibration, operating at a higher vibration, when we talk about the 1%, when we talk about the, uh, I say the 10%, when we talk about uh, the 90%, these are the things that we are speaking on. And in order for you as a sovereign divine being to truly take control of your soul consciousness, the most minimum thing is understanding the game. Now, again, I told you at the beginning, I don't play the game. I don't play the game. My patience ran real short <laughs> with them trying to have me play the game. But I understand how the game is played. You have the power as a divine, sovereign being to either play the game or understand how the game is played and not play the game. Be an observer of the game because you enter and understand that you can event a total new game where it's in all your favor. And if you do choose to play the game, because that's your right, that's certainly your right as a divine sovereign being. If you choose to play the game, choose what peace you will use wisely. If you choose to play the game, choose what peace 
you use wisely. So I hope this metaphor uh, means something to someone. Uh, I wish everyone well. And until next time, love yourself. Make it all be about yourself. Because at the end of the day, all you have is self. Peace and love, family.